Chapter 19 of Mary Annerley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Annerley by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter 19 A Farm to Let. That storm on the festival of St. Michael broke up the short summer weather of the north. A wet and tempestuous month set in, and the harvest in all but the very best places lay flat on the ground without scythe or sickle. The men of the riding were not disturbed by this, as farmers would have been in Suffolk, for these were quite used to walk over their crops, without much occasion to lift their feet. They always expected their corn to be laid, and would have been afraid of it if it stood upright. Even at Annerley Farm this salam of the wheat was expected in bad seasons, and it suited the reapers of the neighborhood who scarcely knew what to make of knees unbent, an upright discipline of stiff cravatted ranks. In a northwest corner of the county where the rocky land was mantled so frequently with cloud, and the prevalence of western winds bore sway, an upright harvest was a thing to talk of, as a legend of a century credible because it scarcely could have been imagined. And this year it would have been hard to imagine any more prostrate and lowly position than that of every kind of crop. The bright weather of August and attentions of the sun, the gentle surprise of rich dews in the morning together with abundance of moisture underneath, had made things look as they scarcely ever looked, clean and straight and elegant but none of them had found time to form the dry and solid substance without which neither man nor his staff of life can stand against adversity. My lady Philippa, as the tenants called her, came out one day to see how things looked, and whether the tenants were likely to pay their Michaelmas rents at Christmas. Her sister, Mrs. Carnaby, felt like interest in the question, but hated long walks, being weaker and less active, and therefore rode a quiet pony. Very little wheat was grown on their estates, both soil and climate declining it, but the barley crop was of more importance and flourished pretty well upon the southern slopes. The land, as a rule, was poor and shallow, and nourished more grouse than partridges, but here and there valleys of soft shelter and fair soil relieved the eye and comforted the pocket of the owner. These little bits of Goshen form the heart of every farm, though oftentimes the homestead was as if by some perversity set up in bleak and barren spots outside of Comfort's elbow. The ladies marched on without much heed for any other point than one. Would the barley crop do well? They had many tenants who trusted chiefly to that, and to the rough hill oats and wool, to make up in coin what part of their rent they were not allowed to pay in kind. For as yet machinery and reeking factories had not besmirched the countryside. "'How much further do you mean to go, Philippa?' asked Mrs. Carnaby, although she was not travelling by virtue of her own legs. "'For my part, I think we have gone too far already. Your ambition is always to turn back. You may turn back now, if you like.' I shall go on. Mrs. Yordas knew that her sister would fail of the courage to ride home all alone. Mrs. Carnaby would never ride without Jordas or some other serving man behind her. 
as was right and usual for a lady of her position. But Lady Philippa was of bolder strain and cared for nobody's thoughts, words, or deeds, and she had ordered her sister's servant back for certain reasons of her own. "'Very well, very well, you always will go on, and always on the road you choose yourself, although it requires a vast deal of knowledge to know that there is any road here at all.' The widow, who looked very comely for her age, and sat her pony prettily, gave way, as usual, to the stronger will, though she always liked to enter protest, which the elder scarcely ever deigned to notice. But hearing that Eliza had a little cough at night, and knowing that her appetite had not been as it ought to be, Philippa, who really was wrapped up in her sister, but never or seldom let her dream of such a fact, turned round graciously and said, I have ordered the carriage here for half-past three o'clock. You will go back by the Scarband Road, and Heartsease can trot behind us. Heartsease, uneasy if you have kept my heart by your shufflings and trippings perpetual. Philippa, I want a better stepping pony. Pat has ruined Heartsease. Pat ruins everything and everybody. And you are ruining him, Eliza. I am the only one who has the smallest power over him, and he is beginning to cast off that. If it comes to open war between us, I shall be sorry for Lancelot. And I shall be sorry for you, Philippa. In a few years Pat will be a man, and a man is always stronger than a woman, at any rate in our family. Stronger than such as you, Eliza, but let him only rebel against me, and he will find himself an outcast and to prove it I have brought you here. Mistress Yordas turned around and looked in a well-known manner at her sister, whose beautiful eyes filled with tears and fell. Philippa, she said with a breath like a sob, sometimes you look harder than poor dear Papa in his very worst moments used to look. I am sure that I do not at all deserve it, and all that I pray for is peace and comfort, and little do I get of either." and you will get less as long as you pray for them instead of doing something better the only way to get such things is to make them then i think that you might make enough for us both if you had any regard for them or for me philippa mistress yorda smiled as she often did at her sister's style of reasoning and she cared not a jot for the last word so long as the will and the way were left to her and in this frame of mind she turned a corner from the open moor track into a little lane, or rather the expiring delivery of a lane, which was leading a better existence further on. Mrs. Carnaby followed dutifully, and Heartsease began to pick up his feet, which he scorned to do upon the negligence of Sward, and following this good lane they came to a gate, corded to an ancient tree and showing up its foot as a dog does when he has a thorn in it this gate seemed to stand for an ornament or perhaps a landmark for the lane instead of submitting to it passed by upon either side and plunged into a dingle where a grey old house was sheltering the lonely moorside farm if such a word and desolate spot could be a farm was known as wallhead from the relics of some ancient wall, and the folk who lived there, or tried to live, although they possessed a surname, which is not a necessary consequence of life, 
very seldom used it and more rarely still had it used for them for the ancient fashion still held ground of attaching the idea of a man to that of things and more extensive and substantial so the head of the house was will of the wallhead his son was tommy o will of the wallhead and his grandson willie tommy o will of the wallhead but the one their great lady desired to see was the unmarried daughter of the house sally o will of the wallhead mistress yordas knew that the men of the house would be out upon the land at this time of day while sally would be full of household work and preparing their homely supper so she walked in bravely at the open door while her sister waited with the pony in the yard sally was clumping about in clog shoes and a child or two sprawling after her for tommy's wife was away with him at work and if the place was not as clean as it could be it seemed as clean as need be the natives of this part are rough in manner and apt to regard civility as the same thing with servility their bluntness does not proceed from thickness as in the south of england but from a surety of their own worth and inferiority to no one and to deal with them rightly this must be entered into sally a will of the wallhead bobbed her solid and black curly head with a clout like a jelly on the pall of it to the owner of their land and a lady of high birth but she vouchsafed no courtesy neither did mistress yordas expect one but the active and self-contained woman set a chair in the low dark room which was their best and stood waiting to be spoken to sally said the lady who also possessed a yorkshire gift of going to the point you had a man ten years ago you behaved badly to him and he went into the indian company indeed replied the maiden without any blush because she had been in the right throughout and noah had come in a better mind and you have come to know your own mind about him you have been steadfast to him for ten years he has saved up some money and is come back to marry you i he nane o the brass but my jack is back again his father held under us for many years he was a thoroughly honest man and paid his rent as often as he could would jack like to have his father's farm it has been let to his cousin as you know but they have been going from bad to worse and everything must be sold off unless i stop it sally was of dark lancastrian race and handsome features and fine brown eyes she had been a beauty ten years ago and could still look comely when her heart was up my lady she said with her heart up now at the hope of soon having a home of her own and something to work for that she might keep such words should not pass the mouth without been meant what she said was very different in sound and not to be rendered an echo by any one born far away from that country where three dialects meet and find it hard to guess what each of the others is up to enough that this is what sally meant to say and that mistress yordas understood it it is not my custom to say a thing without meaning it she answered but unless it is taken up at once it is likely to come to nothing where is your man jack jack is away to the minister to tell of us coming together sally made no blush over this as she might have done ten years ago he must have been an excellent and faithful man he shall have the farm if he wishes it and can give some security at going in let him come and see jordas to-morrow after a few more words the lady left sally full of gratitude 
very little of which was expressed aloud, and therefore the whole was more likely to work, as Mistress Yordas knew right well. The farm was a better one than Wallhead, having some good barley land upon it, and Jack did not fail to present himself at Scargate upon the following morning, but the lady of the house did not think it fit herself to hold discourse with him. Jordas was bidden to entertain him, and find out how he stood in cash and whether his character was solid, and then to leave him with a jug of ale, and come and report proceedings. The dogman discharged this duty very well, being as faithful as the dogs he kept, and as keen a judge of human nature. "'The man hath no harm in him,' he said, touching his hair to the ladies as he entered the audit-room. "'I hath been knocked about a bit in them wars in injury, and hath only one hand left, but I can lay it upon fifty poon and get surety for another fifty. Then tell him, Jordas, that he may go to Mr. Jellycore's to-morrow to see about the writings which he must pay for. I will write full instructions for Mr. Jellycore's, and you go and get your dinner, and then take my letter that he may have time to consider it. Wait a moment. There are other things to be done in Middleton, and it would be late for you to come back to-night. The days are drawing in so. Sleep at our tea-grocer's, and he will put you up. Give your letter at once into the hands of Mr. Jellycourse, and he will get forward with the writings. Tell this man, Jack, that he must be there before twelve o'clock to-morrow, and then you can call about two o'clock and bring back what there may be for signature." and be careful of it eliza i think i have set forth your wishes but my lady lawyers do take such a time and who will look after master lancelot i fear to have my feet two moils off here obey your orders without reasoning that is for those who give them eliza i am sure that you agree with me jordas make this man clearly understand as you can do when you take the trouble but you first must clearly understand the whole yourself. I will repeat it for you. Philippa Yordas went through the whole of her orders again most clearly, and at every one of them the dogman nodded his large head distinctly and counted the nods on his fingers to make sure, for this part is gifted with high mathematics, and the numbers stick fast like pegs driven into clay. Poor Jordas! Philippa, you are working him too hard. You have made great wrinkles on his forehead. Jordas, you must have no wrinkles until you are married. While Mrs. Carnaby spoke so kindly, the dogman took his fingers off their numeral scale and looked at her. By nature, the two were first cousins of half-blood. By law and custom and education and vital institution, they were sundered more widely than black and white. But... For all that, the dogman loved the lady at a faithful distance. "'You seem to me to now have it clearly, Jordas,' said the elder sister, looking at him sternly, because Eliza was so soft. "'You will see that no mischief can be done with the dogs or horses while you are away, and Mr. Jellycourse will give you a letter for me to say that everything is right. My desire is to have things settled promptly, because your friend Jack has been to set the bands up, and the church is more speedy in such matters than the law. Now the sooner you are off, the better. Jordas, in his steady but by no means stupid way, considered at his leisure what such things could mean. 
he knew all the property in the many little holdings as well as and perhaps a great deal better than if they had happened to be his own but he never had known such a hurry made before or such a special interest shown about the letting of any tenement of perhaps tenfold the value moreover he said like a sensible man and therefore to himself only that the ways of women are beyond compute and must be suitably carried out without any contradiction end of chapter nineteen recording by keith salis